was at the end of the wedding when you normally get to that place that you declare them husband and wife and you can kiss the bride. Well, in my training, I had been given the notes that said, I now declare you man and wife. And a pastor, an old pastor came up to me and he began to talk to me afterwards. He said, listen, I think I got something wrong with your sermon. I'm like, everybody loves my sermons. What are you talking about? He's like, no, no, no. At the end there, you declared them man and wife. Why does getting married make him a man suddenly? And now she's the wife. I just don't think that's the right way to think about it. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's a great point. It should be husband. I now declare your husband a wife. And it was one of those times that you start to realize that there are many men in this world who only began to feel like a man when they got married. There are many men in this world who even have that question, when do I become a man? At what point do I get to be called a man? Some men struggle their entire lives with it. Some of us just kind of figure, yeah, at some point back there it happened, but I can't really tell. And it seems to be an odd struggle amongst many men. And so one of the things we instituted for my son was to help them develop and grow so they kind of had that knowledge that, man, I'm being thought of as a man. And so we began that with one of my sons just this last February where he had to go out and meet different men who spoke into his life about what it meant to be a man and the different struggles that he was going to be going through. And we wanted to talk to him about those struggles because it was those struggles that as he develops and grows and becomes capable of handling them, he shows he's become a man. And look, I know some of you are like, what about women? But here's the point for us men, that's a deep struggle. And what we want to do is realize that there's a point at which we cross a line. And yet, hey, when it comes to our spiritual life, God isn't leaving us alone. When is it that we're finally Christians? Well, ultimately, we get to that perfection when we die and we're resurrected from the dead, right? But in the meantime, God is constantly training us and shaping us and developing us through everything that comes around the corner. From every, around every corner is actually something very important. There's growth. See, growth is that one opportunity that happens no matter whether it's a difficult thing around that corner, a blessing around that corner, whatever we find around that corner, whatever is around that corner, around every corner is growth. In fact, we see that Paul understood this. Whether it was needs or evils or traps or tests or temptations, all these things we've worked through, Paul made it clear that what goes on in our lives after we have peace with God is that we can rejoice in our sufferings, our trials, our difficulties, knowing that those things produce endurance, that that endurance produces character, that character produces hope, and that hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. His point here is that, guys, it's through our sufferings, through our difficulties, God's not punishing us. He's growing us. He's shaping us into the character of Christ. And in this series, that's what I wanted to point out. Now, around every corner in this COVID situation, the political situation, and all the racial situations, in your housing situation, your financial situation, in living in California, and living in Corona, whatever you find is the situation you're meeting around the corner, God wants to use it to grow you. God wants to use it to develop you. And that's what we're going to see again today as we dive further in to the life of David. Hey, look, David has been being chased around by King Saul now for several weeks with us, right? 
And so if you want to go back and watch the previous videos to catch up on what's been going on there, just know that David has been living it out and escaping, and he just finished off a guy in uh, a bad situation where he's almost about to kill a guy named Nabal, and now he's actually ready to move forward. And we pick up on his story here in 1 Samuel chapter 26. If you have a Bible, grab it, open it up with me. We're going to take a look at this. It says, Then the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding himself in the hill of Hakaliah, which is on the east of Jeshimon? So Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph with 3,000 chosen men of Israel to seek David in the wilderness. And Saul encamped at the hill of Hakaliah, which is beside the road on the east of Jeshimon. Now, I thought Saul had repented and he was ready to stop chasing David. I think this was what we heard last time, right? When, when David could have killed him, but didn't. And we're going to see here is Saul didn't stop, right? He just repented kind of subtly. And now he's ready to go try to find David again. Look, for us, it's very simple. The world may love you one minute, but don't think that that's going to be permanent. Just because somebody may say sorry, just because somebody who doesn't like Christians in one sense is going to be great, they're going to turn. The world will not love us, Jesus says. We need to realize that Saul's a picture of that. And so, hey, don't be surprised when that flips. And so David sees this, and David remained in the wilderness. When he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness, David sent out spies and learned that Saul had indeed come. Then David rose and came to the place where Saul had encamped, and David saw the place where Saul lay with Abner the son of Ner, the commander of his army, and Saul was lying within the encampment. Well, the army was encamped around him. What I love about this is that Saul is asleep in the center of his camp. In fact, the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament, has him sleeping in a covered chariot. And all of his army is completely surrounding him, but they're all knocked out asleep. You see, David has taken on the offensive. He's after this. He's going to go look for him. And this is a change in David. David sends out spies. David sends out all these things because David isn't going to take this lion down. David figured out where he was. He's going to go see him. And now he's going to deal with the trial. And this is how we should be now. I want to tell you guys, as we work through these sufferings and these things that are going to come around the corner, I want us to take them in stages. And the first stage we're going to take it in is we're going to take it on the trial. We're not going to just receive it. We're going to engage it. We're going to move into the trial. Guys, too many of us are just randomly walking into problems. We come around the corner, we're like, oh my goodness, there's another problem. Whether We know there's stuff coming around the corner. We know there's going to be evils. We know there's traps. We know there's need. Guys, we shouldn't be surprised anymore that there are going to be suffering and difficulties in this life. And too many of us are acting surprised still. Let's cut it out. Even Peter told us that we shouldn't be surprised. He said, beloved, don't be surprised. Pretty straightforward. The fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. We can't be Christians who suddenly just go, oh, I just didn't think any bad stuff would ever. No, the Bible, my friends, is teaching us how to handle all kinds of bad stuff. David, who is a representative of the Messiah, is running into problem after problem. We, who are in the Messiah, we're going to run after problem after problem. Don't be surprised anymore. Be ready. Be ready. Let's take it on. Let's have a plan of attack. We've now talked about these various things from needs and evils and traps and trials. And guess what? We should have a plan now. 
If there's gonna be a need in your life, have a financial plan now. It's called a budget. It's understanding put inside money, having an emergency fund. Look, take FPU, get yourself a plan as best as you can. Some of it's gonna be smaller than others, but have some kind of plan when the need comes. Maybe when there's gonna be a trap, you need to be prepared because you've been in the Word of God. You're ready with that wisdom. You know what the moral situation is. You know the scriptures and it's implanted in your heart. You're ready with an answer. Maybe that plan and temptation is you're prepared because you already know your sins. You know your triggers. You know what you're going to fail and you already know how to, get, how to talk to somebody and where you're going to go. Guys, when we have a plan, we're ready to engage. David had a plan. He heard Saul was coming, sends spies, finds out where he is, and he heads on down to meet Saul right where he is. He's not going to take this lion down. He's not surprised anymore. He's ready. And in stage one, he's going to engage. Guys, we need to be ready to engage. Even Paul told us to engage on a daily basis in prayer. In fact, in his, one of his famous passages in the book of Ephesians, as he's writing to the church in Ephesus, he reminds us of what's really going on in these battles. Whenever you encounter something that is around every corner, you're gonna have this. He says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You're going, what? Yeah, God's given you an armor. It's called Jesus Christ. It's his Holy Spirit present on you that is enabling you to stand against the devil, the evil one. He says, we, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't deal with human beings here. We're not dealing with political parties. We're not dealing with people who hate us. We're not dealing with Saul. We're dealing with other things rulers against the authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places these are spiritual powers that are out to take us down putting us through the temptation dropping us in the need but god is out to change and shape you they're out to crush you in it so be ready take up the whole armor of god that you can be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. That means you have a plan. You know, you're ready with the gospel. You're ready with the scripture. You're ready with the truth. You're ready with all of your salvation, the righteousness of Christ. You're ready with your faith. Guys, we're ready so we can be stand firm in him. We don't deal with small things here when we come around the corner. I'm not here to make them light. I'm here to tell you God wants to grow you. I'm here to tell you God wants you to get through it. He's giving you all that you need to engage, so let's engage. Don't just let it smack you upside the face as if it's something strange. So that you can move forward and engage, and that's what stage two is all about. Then we want to endure. We want to stay obedient to God. Now that we're engaging, hey, we're going to engage that trial, and there's going to be temptation. There's going to be a wrestling match. There's going to be a desire to do it our way. There's going to be all these things we need to engage there. That's what happens with David. In fact, David, in verse, uh, as we pick up here, he, he actually pulls together some guys. In verse 6, he says, And then David said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Joab's brother Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, Who will go down with me into the camp to Saul? And Abishai said, No, I'll go down with you. So David and Abishai went to the army by night. Now, Abishai is David's nephew. So this guy's young. He's ready to prove himself to his, his up, upcoming king, uncle. You know, he's ready to do this thing. But notice there'll be a difference in the way these two approach the scenario. There's going to be temptation floating here. It says, And there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment with a spear stuck in the ground at his head. And Abner and the army lay around him. 
And Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now, please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear, uh, and I won't strike him twice. And here's the temptation. Abishai has been pulled in. You see, this young man hasn't gone through this before. David was in that cave. Abishai may not have been there to see David cut off that corner, to repent and go through that process. But David had grown up some. He had already seen this situation. He wasn't going to be fooled by this temptation, which reminds us why we don't look to youth for the governance of our lives. We need to look at those who have gone before us, who are older than us, because they've got that wisdom. I hope you've got that wisdom. And so we dive in and we see that David has a whole different idea. Verse 9, But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, As the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but take now the spear that is his head and the jug of water and let us go. And so he takes off. And what we have here is David trusting again that, hey, God's got this. Saul will be dealt with by God. It's not going to be up to me. And he takes this stuff. So David took that spear and the jug of water from Saul's head. They went away and no man saw it or knew it, nor did any awake, for they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. In our trials, guys, we're going to need strength against temptation. You engage it, you go down there, but there's going to be those temptations, there's going to be those struggles, there are going to be those things, and we need to have already learned, guys, we need to have already begun to move forward. Look, there's going to be the lure, right? What did we say last time? Each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. That lure is going to be there. What's your lure? What is that enticement? What's your desire want? You should know your sin by now. If you're an old enough Christian, if you're a young Christian, you need to identify these things. If you're an older Christian, you should begin to know these by now. What do I mean? Think about it. What is your besetting sin? Are you tempted most in the treasure department? Like, man, you want stuff. You like the bling. You like the nice clothes, the good car, the bigger house, the more stuff. You're greedy. Maybe you covet things. You struggle with these kind of treasure-oriented sins. Maybe it's not treasure. Maybe it's pleasure, man. You just want to relax, kick back, enjoy yourself. You deserve to get drunk high. It, it feels great. You know it. You know, maybe you struggle in those addictive levels. Maybe you always want to have sex. And maybe you always want to just engage in the things that make you feel good, right? You need to know if you're a pleasure-oriented, tempted person. You, you need to know maybe it's measure. It's a temptation of pride. You know better. You're stronger. You're more capable. It's, it's a sense of your stature and your status and how dare you insult me. You don't know me, right? Hey, we all got our temptations. But it's great to understand what are you going to be lured by? What are you going to be pulled by? Because when, it's, when it finally gets you and it conceives, it's going to give way to sin and then ultimately death. We need to be a people who are standing firm because we stay with God when we understand what that temptation is going to be. David understood this was going to be a temptation for him to take matters into his own hands, to, be, to get the measure that he wanted, to become the king. But he was ready, and he looked to God to get him through it. That's what we do too. Paul, writing to the Corinthians about sin and temptation, he said, Hey, here's the thing. No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful 
and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. A couple notes here. If you're going to engage that trial and you're going to stand firm in stage two, you're going to need to realize you're not going through anything that's not common to everybody else. You think same-sex attraction is a peculiar, odd thing? Oh, no, it says it's common to man. You think that you're lying and, and your struggle with, with drugs or your struggle with, with your pride. No, that's all common to man. You, you think that your anger and your eruptions are, are only unique to you. No, it's common to man. Guys, sin is common to man. Temptations are common to man. Nothing is overtaking that's not common to humanity. All right, let's take a breath. Realize these things God knows about. In fact, He's ready to help you. He's faithful. He's ready to help you not be tempted beyond what you can stand. He's there to release you. He's there with you, to protect you, to enable you. And But that means that you and I need to be ready to look for that way out. He's going to provide a way of escape. Where is it? Look for it. Engage it. And in fact, some of that may be that, hey, we got to engage it and to stay faithful. We're looking for that way out and we discover it in some simple ways. Part of it might just be disarming your sin. I mean, in some ways, um, what David did was he just kind of took the spear of, of Saul and the water jug, disarming the guy to try to, you know, get this guy out of here. Let's get rid of the trial and the problem altogether. Let's move it on kind of a thing, right? We could look at it that way. But what we have here is for you and me, when it comes to temptation, is that we need to be ready. We need to understand what we're tempted in, and we need to understand what we should remove, Jesus told us, if your right hand causes you sin, fling it away. He's like, do, do something necessary to remove sin in your life. Is it the internet? Is it something about purchasing things? Is it a particular food? Man, is it, is it simply that you're hanging around the people who are causing you to, to long for more stuff? What is it? You need to be willing to look for the way out and work through these things. Maybe it's that you just need to remove something. Maybe it's that you need to remind yourself of God's word. You need to get to that place where, hey, you've put it in your mind and you need to speak Jesus did this when he was tempted, right? He actually spoke the word of God to the devil when he was being tempted. Do you have it memorized in your mouth, ready to go? Particular scriptures? Maybe you need to just pray and stay connected with God in the middle of the whole situation. David seemed to be trying to stay connected with the Lord as he's gone through that. Jesus told us this. He said, rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. There's something about prayer that keeps us connected with God, that keeps us away from that temptation, that keeps us linked to Him. And even then, you can begin to move forward with your accountability, right? We want to have the opportunity with people in our lives. So if it's a financial need, who can you ask for help? If it's a trap, who's your mentor to help you out with wisdom and advice? If it's a temptation, who's your accountability partner? There's all these options in the middle of all these things we go through that we can stay faithful to the Lord. We've engaged in stage one. We're going to stay faithful to the Lord in stage two. And when that happens, you're blessed because you're going to grow. What happens is, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test of time, he'll receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. We stay faithful and we grow. We stay faithful and we produce fruit. We stay faithful and we develop. In fact, it even says that it's through the difficulty, through the stress, that we actually end up bearing fruit in the four soils of Jesus' parable. 
And what I want to just encourage you and me into is that we want to be the kind of people that bear fruit. We want to be the kind of people that bear good actions and character, right? That's the stage three as it's starting to work out. This is what happens again with David. If you want to look down here, we're taking a look at verse 13. He says, Then David went over to the other side and stood far off on top of the hill with a great space between them. And David called to the army and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Will you not answer, Abner? Then Abner answered, Who are you that calls to the king? And David said to Abner, Are you not a man? Who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not kept watch over your Lord, the king? For one of the people came in to destroy the king, your Lord. This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not kept watch over your Lord, Yahweh's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the water jug that was at his head. And this is awesome. What David basically does, he turns and says, hey, Abner, he doesn't address the king. He says, Abner. And Abner's like, what's going on? He's like, dude, you failed. What are you talking about? He's like, you didn't protect the king. I snuck in. I grabbed his spirit as water jug. Your job as the bodyguard, which was David's old job, by the way, is to protect the king. And you didn't do it. And David, you know what David's saying? Do you know what I did? I protected the king. I did what all of you guys just failed to do. He's exposing their character in comparison to his own. And this has some huge repercussions. Verse 17, Saul recognized David's voice and said, Is this your voice, my son David? And David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. And he said, Why does my lord pursue after his servant? What have I done? What evil is on my hands? Now, therefore, let my lord, the king, hear the words of his servant. If it is Yahweh who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. But if it is men, may they be cursed before Yahweh, for they have driven me out this day, and that I should have no share in the heritage of, the, of Yahweh, saying, Go serve other gods. Now, therefore, let not my blood fall on, onto the earth, away from the presence of Yahweh, for the king of Israel has come out to seek a single flea like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. Basically makes his final statement. You're chasing me down. I'm not going to kill you. You're going to try to kill me. I just spared your life again. Here's the spear. Here's the jug. What is going on? And all of this character is being revealed. And what else is being revealed is all of Saul and there's bad character. Here's the thing. Good character will reveal bad character. And it's going to bring people against you. Jesus was the best character and people fought him off. I mean, this is just a basic thing. You, you can remember, I can remember sitting in classes in high school. And there was always that one kid who was like the special kid, the goody two-shoes, right? He's doing everything right. Now, I wanted to be good in class and stuff. And I liked my teachers. But man, there were just some people that just took it over to the top. They were the teacher's pet, right? Well, the reason we don't like teacher's pets the reason we don't like the jocks, the reason we have names for people is because when we see something good in someone else and it's not in us, man, it makes us uncomfortable. When we see something in them and we're just like, ugh, I got to find a way to put you down. I got to knock you down a peg. I got to bring you down. This is the nature of human beings. When good character shines, bad character is exposed. And man, we feel uncomfortable. 
And that's what happens here. These guys' bad character following Saul is exposed wide by David's good character. Right now, you may be being attacked online. You may be being made fun of. Hey, Christians right now are being looked at as, why are we having church? And why are we doing these kind of things? And, and where is God in these messes, right? Look, we don't need to argue back with words. We need to live with character. And a specific kind of character, remember we've looked at this character, it's the character of Jesus found in Galatians. It's listed in this way called the fruit of the Spirit. It's love and joy and peace, patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, hey, you're sitting there in your home. You're watching this right now, wherever you're at. Just stop for a minute. I want you to think of the opposites. Do you really want to be this kind of person that's the opposite? Do you know anybody who wants to be like this? I mean, I find this list fascinating if you flip it. And let me, let me read it to you in this way, because it just is funny. I mean, what's the opposite of love? Do you want to be apathetic? It's not mean. It's the opposite of love is just apathy. Oh, I don't really care about you. I mean, who wants to be apathetic and sullen and, and stressed out and anxious and without any peace? And how many of us want to be impatient or cruel? How many want to be evil or just untrustworthy completely? I, I can't trust that person, man. You, whoo, yeah, that's who I want to be. Hey, no way, man. I want to be brutish. I want to, I want to just crush stuff and be harsh all the time, right? I want to be, I want to be out of control. I just want to do whatever I want. No, and I'm just going to do that. No, 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 no. Nobody wants to be the opposite of these things. And yet, if we would stop and look at how we treat each other online, if we'd stop and look at how we're treating people in the workplace, if we stop and look sometimes at what we're doing, we're going to find out, yeah, man, well, sometimes we're brutish and harsh. Man, I'm apathetic when I shouldn't be about some very serious things. I'm definitely sullen. I don't have joy. But God wants to take you through these things around every corner to produce character in you. That's why we need to engage it. That's why we need to stick close to the Lord in it. And He'll produce character. He will start to make us joyful. He'll start to make us loving and compassionate. He'll start to make us patient and kind. And it's that kind of stuff that will shine no matter what comes our direction. And that's the important part, that we would go around every corner in all these trials and all these needs and all these difficulties, with all this evil surrounding us in every trap and let God shape and change us. See, when we're steadfast, when it has its full effect, we're going to be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. We're going to be like Christ. And that means we just keep going and keep pressing and allow that to come out of our lives. We're going to bear the fruit of that for soil I mentioned. It says, for all that in the good soil, as for all that in the good soil, those seeds that are there, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest heart and bear fruit with patience. It takes time. This isn't going to be immediate. You hold on to God and that fruit will come out. You go through that next thing. You go around that next corner and in time, that fruit will grow. That character will reveal itself. It's going to show you as you engage, you stay faithful to God and it develops Him. And then in the end, what we do is we trust that hope. Know what Paul said? It's the character produces hope. And stage four is then we, we enter into that surety of hope. We see the surety of hope. What do I mean the surety of hope? Guys, you're guaranteed to see God's work. You're guaranteed to see God's justice. You're guaranteed to see God's resurrection. You're guaranteed to see God act in this world. And that's what holds David up. 
David actually listens first to Saul. Saul says, well, I've sinned and return my son, David, for I will no more do you harm because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I've acted foolishly and have made a great mistake. And David answered and said, here's the spear, O king. Let one of your young men come over and take it. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out and put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me out of all tribulation. And so Saul said to David, you know, Blessed be you, my son. And they, then he went away. Here's the thing. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. This is the point. You want the reward of good character? You want the reward of, of a surety of hope? You want the reward that God is going to give you the rewards of, of eternity? Stay faithful in the fight. Around every corner are so many difficulties and so many things. So stay faithful in the fight. He wouldn't lay out his hand against the anointed. He showed off his character and how the Lord was going to bring him through all these things. God one day will indeed bring about his justice. God one day will bring about all these things. And you may be going through that difficulty. Look, you need to trust God has got you and he's going to bring these things about. You can't control how you go through the situation. You can only control how you go through the situation, but not the outcome. You can control how you deal with it, how you trust, but you can't control the outcome. God's got that. And he's promised that outcome ultimately is good. My challenge to us in all this is that whether evil comes your way, that you would stand firm and not give into it. That when temptation comes your way, you stand firm and not give into it to sin. That when need comes your way, that you don't just give in to despair, but you seek the Lord's help in the community. When you go through a test and a trap, that you stand firm with the Lord and his word. And you trust that he'll make the outcome occur. And that character will form. You engage. You stand firm. That character is shaped. And you'll have a surety of a hope in eternity. Because here's the thing. Just as David saw the anointed one's life as precious, he said, God views your life as precious. The anointed one, Jesus, viewed your life so precious that on the cross, he bore our sins to save your life from hell. Hell is the location of worthlessness. Hell is the location of the bottom. It's coming to the bottom of humanity, the nothing. It is the destruction of our souls. It's becoming so unhuman. It's ridiculous. And Jesus doesn't want us to become so dead in life, so dead in eternal, in eternity, that he was willing to come and bear punishment and bear our sin on the cross because he thought of your life as precious. Here's the thing, he doesn't say, and now I want you to clean up and I want you to straighten up and do all the things and I will save you. No. You don't have to do a whole bunch of things to be saved. That's, that's called human religion. What you need to do is just receive the gift. Jesus has borne your sins on the cross. He offers you and says, I love you. I give you my life. If you'll receive it from me, I will have seen you, take you, and I'll bring you all the way into heaven. You see, what you receive from Jesus is a life as precious because he sees you as precious.
I hope today what you do in the middle of your trial, in the middle of whatever you're going through, that you would receive what Jesus has for you so God will be with you in it. God sees you as precious and he offers you this chance to receive him as a gift. If you'd like to receive that, I want to give you that chance right now. Just bow your head with me. Reach out to God in your head, in your mind, in your heart and say, God in heaven, I know that I've sinned and I haven't treated my life as precious. But I trust that Jesus, that you took my sins on the cross. You have found me precious and you are willing to forgive me. I trust you're willing to give me new life today. Please come into my life and lead me. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that today, would you let us know? And let somebody know right there in the, in the online chat right there. Or you can text us the word BEGIN at the number below. And what we will do is we'll get a hold of you because you've just begun to follow Jesus. You're going to have lots of questions. There's going to be lots of things to consider. We want to encourage you as you move forward because there's lots of things coming around the corner. And we want to be there with you and help you as you go through them. Let's all together then stand firm in whatever God brings around the corner so that we can have the character. And that character can give us hope. God bless you guys as God gives us that character and that hope.